Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Andy Clark, and one of your hosts of Hockey Talk, giving you an updated intro to this classic episode from 2018, uh, the spring of 2018. In this uh, show, Steve Fitzsimmons, Paul Hillier, and I uh, have a phone chat with Michael Pizzetta, who at that time uh, was newly a Sarnia Sting player after having played with uh, the Sudbury Wolves for four years and having been their captain. And to give you a little update of what's gone on with Michael Pizzetta's career since then, uh, he signed his three-year entry uh, contract with the Montreal Canadiens, who had drafted him uh, in the sixth round of 2016, 160th overall. And uh, for the most part, he's been playing in the American Hockey League with uh, the Laval Rockets. I know I uh, caught a game with him. Uh, playing against uh, the Toronto Marlies there a year or so back when my son's team were the Flag Bears. Um, off to a good start. He's in the third year of his contract this year. And through the first five games of this season, he has uh, three points, which almost matches his point total uh, of last season, which he had four points last year in 32 games. So certainly uh, showing a bit more scoring punch to start this year. And of course, he's playing for his next contract, so he really wants to step it up. Step it up, And uh, hasn't yet made it to the show, hasn't played a game in the big leagues yet. So of course, uh, still highly motivated. Uh, after that, Steve, Paul, and I uh, talk about the merits of all-star games in hockey and uh, perhaps uh, some suggestions how to make the event better and even some suggestions for uh, some interesting new possible uh, skills competitions. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoy this episode of Hockey Talk. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hockey Talk here on Blue Water Radio and Eastlink TV. Your regular trio back this week, Paul Hillier along with Steve Fitzsimmons and Andy Clark. And, uh, gentlemen, it's going to be a, a, another busy show tonight. Uh, I believe we have uh, a, a guest coming in, to, or coming in, pardon me, on the phone with us. And uh, we're going to have a, a good show. We're going to talk a little bit about the All-Star break and uh, a few other little things along the way, but... Uh, you know, for, for now, we have uh, a guest on the line, uh, a f- guy who's been traveled a lot this year. He's uh, gone from the Sudbury Wolves to the Sarnia Sting and is enjoying himself now with a team that might be into the playoffs. Oh, it's definitely going to be in the playoffs, Paul. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, but, yeah, he went from a team that uh, was, uh, you know, the bottom of the Eastern Conference to this to uh, the second-best team in the Western Conference so we have Michael Pozzetta of the Sarnia Sting along on the phone. Uh, good evening, Michael. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm good, guys. How are you? We're great, thanks. Uh, so, uh, I mean, let, let's go back to uh, the trade deadline. Uh, you know, you, you're a, you were a lifelong uh, Sarnia or uh, Sudbury Wolf member. You were the captain of the hockey club. Uh, must have been, uh, you know, mixed feelings uh, getting dealt to a good team, but uh, to leave a team that you were uh, certainly affiliated with for four years. Yeah, it was definitely um, definitely hard for me leaving the the city of Sudbury. I mean, I pretty much grew up there and played my whole uh, OHL career there. So it was definitely hard uh, leaving my billets and the friendships that I've made. But uh, to get the the opportunity to come to Sarnia and go for a deep playoff run, um, it's 
pretty hard to, to pass up, and uh, I'm pretty excited to, to be here in Sarnia now, and it's been pretty good so far. And Mike, I mean, this already sting, they loaded up, uh, not only acquiring yourself, but uh, but getting uh, Jonathan Ang, an excellent player that was with the Peterborough Peets, uh, and uh, Cam Deneen, one of the most underrated defensemen in the Ontario Hockey League, and a player you would know well from the Eastern Conference with the North Bay Battalion. And, uh, I mean, Sarnia, they haven't missed a beat. We know how well they started this season, and uh, you've had a great start to your career with the Sarnia Sting, 11 points in eight games. Tell us how that's been going with the transition so far. Uh, the transition has been pretty smooth. I mean, coming here and uh, meeting all the, the new guys. I, lucky I knew some guys from uh, under-17s and playing uh, hockey in the, in the GTA there. So uh, that, that, that way it was pretty easy. But in terms of uh, on the ice, the systems were a bit different. But um, nothing nothing too hard. So moving in, uh, I got the opportunity to play with Kairu and uh, uh, Rizichka. So um, we've, been, we've been doing pretty good. Now, we, uh, you were talking about the difference in systems there. Uh, can you generalize for us, uh, you know, h- how is the offensive uh, philosophy different between Sudbury and Sarnia? Yeah, in Sudbury it was more uh, overloading pucks, always pushing the pace of the game, and here we're just more filling lanes and kind of always having a guy open. So um, in that sense, as, as a winger anyways, and I'm holding my lane here in Sarnia compared to in Sudbury, we're always kind of just blowing the zone and uh, pushing the pace. Now, uh, when you when you look at the Sarnia Sting roster, I mean they they are loaded with uh, high end offensive talent. You mentioned uh, both of your line mates, uh, Jordan Cairo and, and Adam Rzyska. And I'm wondering, do you know Jordan Cairo before this? Uh, just I know he's a Toronto native as well. Did you, did you go back in in minor hockey with him at all? Yeah. So growing up, uh, we played against each other for pretty much my, my whole career, and then in uh, in minor midget, we actually played together. So uh, I knew him from there, and uh, it was pretty good coming in and see see an old friend there. Absolutely, and uh, I mean the Sarnia Sting coaching staff—they uh, certainly have uh, an NHL pedigree that uh, players, w- you know, have to respect. I, I would think uh, when you look at Darian Hatcher, of course, uh, the part owner and, and, and head coach, uh, a guy that uh, has a Stanley Cup ring as the captain of the Dallas Stars when they won their cup, and and David Legwan, literally from the National Hockey League last year. But not only that, this is a guy that was an excellent OHL player and uh, was the Red Tilson Award winner one year with the Plymouth Whalers. And, I mean, it just must uh, be, uh, you know, a breath of fresh air to, to deal with uh, those high-level guys. Yeah, anytime you can uh, you have your coaches play 1,000 games, over 1,000 games, like uh, any games in the NHL, I mean, it's, uh, it's good to be able to pick their brains and really learn from them. I mean, to, to have that experience, I mean, it's second to none, like you can't, either have that or you don't, you know what I mean? And um, for me, even in, in Sudbury with Stillman there and, and the coaching staff there, it was nice to, to learn from these guys and really understand like what it's like being at the next level and they, they know the little things that are going to help you get there. Now, in talking to some other Sarnia players, they tell me that David Legwin's quite a cut-up with the players. Yeah, he's uh, always in the room and uh, cracking jokes with everybody. So um, it's always nice to have an assistant coach that's, uh, that's vocal and, and um, kind of jokes around with the guys keeps it light now uh talking about uh taking it to the next level uh you played in some of uh the montreal canadians uh rookie uh preseason uh games there uh tell us a little bit about what it was like in, in the montreal canadians rookie camp so yeah that was a pretty cool experience i'm going into to my first camp obviously i was uh, a little bit nervous but uh 
it's, it's great hockey, and I mean, you have a lot of guys pushing for for roster spots and, and working hard. So it's great hockey in those in those rookie tournament games. And uh, for me, I just tried to to bring my game every night, and that's hard physical forward and chip in offensively. And it's going to play the right way. So I think uh, that's what I did when I was down there, and it's it's really fun to play in those sorts of games. In uh, one of your uh, preseason games there uh, against Toronto. You uh, got into quite a tilt there with a six foot five, two hundred thirty five pound uh, Keaton Middleton. Uh, how much of that was spontaneous, and how much of that was in the back of your head, saying, "You know, I need I need to show the Canadians what I'm willing to do here." Yeah, I mean, uh, I went out in the game, and obviously, the, I play a certain way, and it, it's going to cause uh, cause some problems. So uh, when I was out there, I asked uh, another player to fight, and I guess uh, Midzi, Midzi heard uh, what I said out there, so um, he came by and, and asked if I wanted to fight and. Kind of like sure you're not you're not going to turn down um, turn down an offer offer like that especially in a, in a game where you're trying to show what you can do and I mean luckily it worked out for me and uh, I won the fight but um, he's definitely a big boy. Yeah. Now have you had to adjust your game at all in the transition from going from uh, like those camps back with the Canadians to Sudbury and then over to Sarnia or do you find that uh, your game fits in well with both squads that you've been on this year? Um, it's definitely, definitely a bit of a transition coming back from, from playing in that kind of games and um, with, with bigger bodies and, and that such. I mean, coming back to the OHL, you got to kind of take a step back off on some of your hits, and especially I um, had a long year last year with, with a couple suspensions, so I definitely didn't want to want to be out, in, out of the lineup because that doesn't help anybody. So um, for me, definitely got to take a step back a little bit in the OHL here, whereas uh, at the next level and in those games, um, you can kind of just play your game and not have to worry about all that kind of stuff. Mike, you've really taken a step forward offensively this season as you have 42 points between the two squads in just 43 games, basically a point-a-game player. Last year, 10 goals and 9 assists for 19 points in 54 games. I mean, uh, take us through what uh, what has been working well for you to take that kind of jump up offensively this year. Yeah, last year was, was a bit of a, a long season with the suspensions and and obviously not, not putting up the numbers that I, that I hoped I would. Um, I was in a different role last year. It was more of a defensive checking role, and uh, me and the Pelons really really embraced that in Sudbury and kind of went out every night and made it hard uh, for teams to play against us. And then coming into this year, I got an opportunity to, to play on the power play and um, really flourish that way, and obviously it helps you build confidence once, once things start working out for you that way. But I'm just keeping it simple. I come in every night and I just work as hard as I can and um, really get to the dirty areas of the ice, and that's that's what's been working for me. Take us back to NHL Draft Day for the 2016 NHL Draft. The Montreal Canadiens select you in the sixth round, 160th overall. First of all, were you at the draft? Where were you? Uh, how did that moment sort of go down for you? Yeah, so I was at the, the draft with my parents, my mom, dad, and my brother, and um so we were just, I guess, sitting in the stands there and hoping, like everybody else, to, to hear your name get called and to hear my name get called there in the sixth round. Uh, I mean, it was maybe later than, than I had hoped for, but I'm just happy to, to be given the opportunity to to get drafted. And, I mean, that walk down the, the set of stairs there in the arena was probably the lightest I've come down a set of stairs for sure. Have you had a lot of contact with the Montreal Canadiens this season as to what kind of their expectations are for you? Obviously, you know, you have to get signed by, I guess, what, July 1st this year um, in the two years that they have to sign you. But uh, have they talked to you a lot about it, your game this year? 
Um, yeah, they have their player development there. Rob Ramage, he comes on and watches games and, and keeps in touch with you throughout the season. So he's just at a couple games this past weekend. But uh, I guess from them, it's the same as everybody else. They want me to bring that, that hard physical game and and obviously chip in offensively and work on the, the, the little touches in, in games. So for me, uh, that's just that work ethic and that desire I bring into every game, and they expect the same. Now, uh, Steve already mentioned that you know, you're a point-of-game player this year and you're responsible defensively. So I don't. with this next question, I don't want to make it sound like uh, you're, you're a goon or a fighter because I believe you've only had two fights in the OHL this year, and then you had that one in the preseason. But uh, one of those uh, scraps you got into in the OHL, I, I happened to be at that game. It was against Owen Sound on their uh, military appreciation night. And uh, it was kind of unusual because we knew that you might be on uh, uh, our show. So I was getting some uh, publicity shots and I had the big camera up there. And as I was starting to attract you to take some pictures, you, you steer the, the puck left your own zone. And instead of chasing the play, you went over to the penalty box area and started working on your elbow pads. And I was like, what's going on here? And sure enough, uh, the play was whistled down shortly after that. And you went uh, seeking out Jacob Friend. And then you guys had one fur-flying slobber knocker <laughs> of a fight that lasted quite a while. So I, I guess I'm just saying, what, what was behind that? The two captains going at it. What, what transpired to cause that fight? Um, I mean, there's, there's not too many guys that... I mean, I'm a fourth-year player. You're not going to go around looking for, for a young guy to fight or anything like that. And obviously, there's just three fights in the league now. So you get an opportunity to, to play guys that are pretty tough in this league and I think maybe set the pace for, for the game and really try to hope to, to spark your team. We, we both kind of said, hey, like, let's see where this goes. I know he's a tough guy, and uh, it was a great fight. I mean, again, lucky, <laughs> lucky I came out on top. But he took a pound, and then... When I, when I saw him waving the refs off, I thought he was waving him in at first. And I was like, oh, thank God, because like, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> and I look, and he's, he's waving him off. And I'm like, holy cow, like, how are you staying up right now? But uh, definitely kudos to him for, for a good fight. Yeah, he's definitely a tough dude as well. Uh, talk about uh, the difference. in You know, you've always been an Eastern Conference guy with the Sudbury Wolves. Now you come over to what has been a powerhouse in the Western Conference in, in recent years uh, and the Sarnia Sting and, and, and the Sioux Greyhounds really, you know, the class of the Western Conference with all due respect to the second place Kitchener Rangers based on that uh, division lead. But really, um, you know, the, the t you know, you're ranked fourth in the, in the CHL, the Sarnia Sting are ranked, or the, uh, the uh, uh, Sioux Greyhounds are ranked first, as you know. Uh, talk about just the difference in, in playing from the, the East to the West. Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, the West is always known to be bigger, stronger kind of thing, like uh, a lot more physical games. And for me, that's kind of my style of game. So moving into the West, I kind of I like that hockey. It really gets me gets me going and into more hockey games. I think the East is, is pretty strong this year. So in terms of that, uh, coming over to the West has been kind of an easy transition so far. The travel's a lot less than it was in Sudbury, so that's definitely a lot nicer. But um, in terms of this year, the, the transition's been pretty good. Yeah, in fairness, you're correct about uh, the, the East is stronger this year for sure. And, and we saw that at the OHL trade deadline where, you know, everybody and their brother in the Eastern Conference was trying to load up to, to try to win the Eastern Conference uh, with things a little bit wide open in the East. And it must have been, I mean, as a player, it must have been, uh, you know, interesting to deal with that. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy trade deadline to see some uh, big names just getting shot around left, right, and center and getting traded to different teams. It was pretty interesting to see what teams were doing. And uh, obviously, I mean, I got, I got moved as well, and that was um, 
it was nice to be able to just come come here for for this long playoff run. But um, obviously, there's a lot of good teams, and anything can happen. Mike, did you have a conversation with Sudbury prior to the the, the deadline that you had some sense that this was going to come, or that you you know wanted it to come, or or what, kind of how the, how did it lead up to for you? Um, for me, I was in Sudbury for the long haul. Like I. I didn't need to be moved. There was nothing wrong. The organization's always treated me amazing, and I think for them, they're just they're going in a different direction, bringing in some youth and kind of building building for the future, and then having the, the opportunity with the season that I've had to, to go to a go to a contender in uh, in some of these top teams here. And then I guess uh, we sat down the, the day I got traded and said, "Hey, look, like Sarnia wants to put in an offer. It's going to help us. It's going to help." help you in your career and uh, it was the the best decision for for both of us to to kind of have me shipped out here a win-win mm-hmm. mm-hmm. now one of your uh, teammates from last year uh, kyle copobianco who uh, we also we had on the show last year too was one of our guests but he's had a pretty good uh rookie pro season so far uh last week he was uh an ahl all-star and accounted uh, for himself quite well there and he's he's already uh seen some time in the nhl with uh the the coyotes so uh are, are you surprised that uh, that he's progressed so fast, or uh, what are your thoughts on how well things are going for uh, Copo Bianco? Um, not at all. He's um, he's an amazing person, an amazing player. Like being able to to kind of come through his career with him as well there in Sudbury, we were there playing together for I think three seasons. So to see him develop throughout the years, it was just he's he's a great hockey player, and it's no doubt in my mind, and he definitely deserves. Duffy deserves what he's getting because he's worked hard for it and he's way, way underrated in the OHL. But um, he's a great hockey player. And and now uh, with this season coming down, you guys are looking at doing a long playoff route with a, with a great team and the Sarnia Sting. Where do you see you going the, for the well, for the rest of this year and then for the next couple of years after that? Um, for me this year, I just want to finish as hard as I can and, and do whatever I can to help help us get as deep as we can in the playoffs and obviously that means for me winning winning a championship winning a mem cup that's that's our plan and that's our team's plan obviously and then in terms of the future i want to be playing pro hockey so that's moving on to the ahl and then who knows maybe the nhl next year like anything's anything's possible if, if you work hard but um yeah it's obviously moving to pro hockey mike you guys uh, had a bit of a statement game i thought uh and I, i'm Pardon my recollection. I'm not sure if you were just on the team or it was just before you joined the team. But uh, you played the Sting recently played the Sioux Greyhounds and uh, and uh, sent them a message with a, a pretty convincing win. Um, just your thoughts on, on that particular matchup? Yeah. So um, I was I was on the team for the game. Okay. And um, obviously, it's a big matchup. It was the first time since both teams kind of acquired guys at the deadline that they've faced off against each other. So uh, obviously, you want to set the bar and kind of let them know that, hey, like we're we're a powerhouse too. We can we can, we can take you guys on, and to be able to come away with a win was nice. But it's kind of just letting them know that they're not going to be able to just walk or walk all over this Eastern or Western Conference. Sorry. You know, a guy that uh, I've long thought is a, an elite goaltender in this in this league that maybe doesn't get the uh, the publicity of you know the Michael DiPietro's and the Michael McNivens in the past that kind of thing is Justin Fazio with uh, the Sardia Sting. I mean, the guy puts up numbers year after year. He's got a nine nineteen save. He's twenty eight and eight this season. I mean, talk about uh, what you've seen from Justin Fazio so far. I mean, so far so good. I we've what lost one game in. Uh 
in uh, OT there. And um, other than that, he's been he's been pretty phenomenal. Him and Hughesy, both great goalies. Faz has made made big saves when we needed him to. I mean, when it comes down to those little things in a game, um, he's he's making those saves, and that's that's what you need from your goalie that confidence, and it stems out from him. At the trade deadline, uh, your team, of course, uh, got Cam Deneen, a, a player you're you're well familiar with as well. And I mean, when you can add a, a close to point a game guy on the back end, I think he's in the top three or four among all OHL defensemen in points. Uh, but also a character player like that, as well as yourself and, and Jonathan Ang. I mean, that was for me when I saw the trades of the Sarnia Sting made. There was a lot of character guys in that grouping to not only the points, but the character as well. Yeah, I mean, all, all three of us uh, were, were leaders on the team that, teams that we came from, and that's a big part of who, who I am. And I know uh, getting to meet these guys more, you see why that they, they wore letters on their teams. So you have a lot of players that are willing to, to put the team on their back and, and really help us help us get wins. So as, as someone who sees himself as a leader or a you know, developing leader amongst the team, where, where did that inspiration come from? Who did, who did you look to growing up that made you say, look, I want to be like that, I want to be a leader? It's, it's my parents. I mean, they always instilled in me to, to be the hardest working guy, whether that's on the ice, in life, that it doesn't matter. So for me, I just come in every day and I try to outwork everyone that's around me. And it's kind of it's not something that, that I go to the, the rink saying, hey, i got to go be a leader today or... I got to, like, it's just kind of who I am and who I become. It's just, I like the responsibility of, of kind of being that guy that guys can look at and say, hey, like, he never took a day off or he never, he never quit work and he's always doing something. And, and I think when guys see that, they, they do the same. Mike, uh, I know something that you take a lot of pride in uh, is your charity work in Sudbury. And uh, I know you, in particular, did a lot of work with uh, Down syndrome. Just tell us about uh, what that meant to you and, and just how important it is to give back like that. Yeah, obviously we're, we're in a position where, where people look up to us and for, for me to be able to give back, I mean, we have a lot of free time in, in the OHL and, and when you're playing hockey, I mean, most of your nights are, if you're not playing games, you, you have some sort of time to do something. So that's getting out in the community and really just trying to make a difference. I mean, that, that text message or... That, that event you show up to really make someone's day and to be able to have the power to, to do that is, is pretty amazing and obviously like today's Bell Let's Talk too and um, just stuff like this is just amazing that we, we have the, the reach to be able to make a difference. And uh, yeah, now I'm going a little obscure here but uh, we had Jared Kiso on last year and uh, the show Letterkenny, uh, it actually tapes up in the Sudbury area and uh, he, he gave us his favorite places in Sudbury, and, and I'll allow you to extend this to Sardia because that's where you are now, but uh, he put a shout-out for the tightest chicken wing places in Sudbury. So just to compare notes, uh, what, what's your call, and what would you say Sudbury-wise? Um, we, would go, we would go to the doghouse for sure for, for food in Sudbury, and then uh, a good friend of mine, Al, Guthrie owns uh, Tiamo, so that was a good spot. We, we'd go there for lunch pretty much every morning after we, we went to the rink. And uh, he'd make us some good sandwiches, soup, and then uh, finish it off with a couple of crepes and waffles. Uh, not the healthiest, little <laughs> but maybe maybe once a week or so, eat some of those, and uh, they took care of us. It was a lot of good places to eat in Sudbury. Nice. 
Well, Mike, you're having a, a phenomenal season. Uh, the Sarnia Sting look poised for a, a serious playoff run, maybe the the run of their uh, franchise history, I think, um, because they've only won, uh, I think, two uh, playoff series in their 21-year history. So this looks like the year that uh, there's going to be big noise made from, Sud- or from Sarnia, and uh, we really appreciate your time joining us tonight. Yeah, uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me out. That's Michael Bezetta, now of the Sarnia Sting. Seems a little bit weird to keep saying that, but a long time. All the best, uh, Mike. Yeah, take care, Mike. And, uh, uh, of course, the longtime uh, Sudbury Wolf player and uh, was their captain at the OHL trade deadline, of course, going over to the Sarnia Sting. We will take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the NHL All-Star Game and a bunch of other things, a potpourri of stuff on the other side on Hockey Talk. And all we're talking about is or what people somewhat talk about is what a prima donna he is. Yeah. He's not, I, I don't think it's fair at all. Welcome back to Hockey Talk on 91.3 FM Blue Water Radio in downtown Hanover and, of course, across the lovely province of Ontario on Eastlink TV. Steve Fitzsimmons, Paul Hillier, and Andy Clark back in the Hanover studios with you. And, Andy, why don't we talk about uh, your very interesting Twitter poll and the results of it from this week. Tell the folks what the Twitter poll is and and some of the results that came in. Yeah, um, I know Matt's going to be putting that up on the screen for our uh, Eastlink uh, TV viewers, but for the benefit of the radio viewers... Here was our Twitter poll. Uh, how does current NHL? How does the any the current NHL All Star Game and Skills Competition rate with you? So, how much do you enjoy it? How much do you like the format? And the options were: uh, love it, you must watch; like it, you're going to watch some; tolerate it, you might watch a bit; or dislike it, totally skip. And what was interesting here is we had quite quite a fairly even distribution amongst the four options here. Uh, as far as people who loved it, only 21% said it's must-watch TV. Because it which, isn't. Yeah, like I kind of wonder back to back in the day when when I was younger in the 80s and stuff, I, I think it would have been much higher in, in that regard. It had a little more, a little more pache or a little more yeah, esteem. Yeah, a little pan- more panache to it. A little it, more panache, right? yeah. yeah. So as far as the people, though, who said they disliked it and would totally skip it, there was only 16%. So it's not like you know, there's a hard. It's kind door. of intriguing for half an hour to kind of tune it in. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily watch all the way through. So the people who said they would tolerate it uh, might watch. They had the largest grouping. They were 37, mm-hmm. percent and then the people who like it and are going to watch some uh, was 26. percent So 21, 26, 37, 16. So fairly even distribution there. Yeah. All right. Well, let me tell you about my viewing habits with it. Uh, I watched the skills competition in its entirety and didn't watch one minute of the All-Star game. And I I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I didn't watch... I, I didn't watch uh, much of the NHL uh, skills competition, but I watched quite a bit of the American Hockey League skills competition. Oh, really? I watched okay. I watched nothing of that three on three. Well, you know what it's going to be. It's just yeah. going to be, uh, you know, just nothing but uh, an offensive show that really has no defense involved in it. The goaltenders are going to get shelled. I mean, we've seen it year in year out, and you know, it's not a true form of hockey that people really appreciate, I don't think. I yeah. Don't Paul, what's your thought on the three-on-three? Three? The three, I, I, in the All-Star game, I don't like it. I mean, in the overtime for, period for five in, in minutes, NHL, it's awesome. I like it. But in in the three-on-three three for the All-Star game, it's just, it, to me, what the, what I saw in the game, I only watched it for a few minutes, but what I saw, it looked like a bunch of guys scrimmaging at practice. 
You know, yeah. they were they they weren't there was no hitting, of course, in the All Star game, and it looked like guys were just skating around each other, having a good time, and and then a, they they throw the money on it to try and build some, you know, and it worked out for Brock interest. Besser. Yeah, he had oh, a great day. Brock but Besser looked like a, like a, he looked like he belonged, at an and he made about four hundred grand, I think, uh, yeah. winning yeah. the MVP and and part of the winning squad as well, and then he won the event in the skills competition for 25 G's too. So Brock Besser, I think he was making like 800 and some thousand to come up with 400 G's on the day. It's pretty good it's for him. A raise. But yeah, yeah given, sure. given how like it kind of seems kind of lax, how they're drifting out there, the three on three to throw $400,000 on top of it seems a little out of whack too. Um, you know I, what? I, I think something like, you know, home ice advantage in the, in the uh, Stanley cup final for the winning conference is is the kind of thing we see it in baseball, baseball. you know, mm-hmm. and I think we really have to take a look at that example because, you know, the 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 baseball All Star game certainly has a lot more intensity than what we saw, in you know, in any of the All Star games for the NHL in the last ten years. If the money hasn't added the intensity, do you think that would actually add the intensity though? I think it does because I mean, especially to teams that are players that are on teams that are really in the hunt for that. So, you know, I, I think it uh, there's there's a pride level to win that and understanding what that advantage would be. I'm not saying take away the money. The money can be left there as well, but I think that adds an element to what the value of that is. What's your thought, Paul? I think we're roughly, roughly the same thing. I mean, they got to have something to play for. I mean, these guys out there on the All-Star game looked like they were just dipsy-doodling around <laughs> and having a practice. And to give them something to strive for would be good, but, I mean, the problem might be that they divide the teams up now between, con- or not <clears throat> between conference, but between division. Right. So if the Pacific Division wins it and the Stanley Cup representative is in the other division, I wonder how that would work. They that. just would automatically get it, I but guess. But I guess they would just have to set it up maybe with Western Conference, Eastern Conference, right. whichever one of those divisions wanted, that's who would get home ice. And that's great. <clears throat> that might be worth it because they might have something to play for. I'm kind of leaning the other way where I'm saying if they've thrown this money at it and they've gone all the way to the three-on-three, three, I'm saying, you know what, I, I'd be happy if they actually ditched the game and just went to a skills competition and maybe threw some cash prizes on top of that to see who, you know, hey, whoever has the hardest shot, you get X number and make that even more intriguing and a little more of a competition that way. Okay, so here, yeah. here's the honest truth about the NHL All-Star Game weekend. It is mainly for the sponsors of the mm-hmm. NHL who come and, you know, have a chance to hobnob with all the players and, and the, the NHL people and, and, and enjoy the weekend and, and take part in that. Really, that's what it, it's sponsor driven largely. And, you know, they get paid, obviously, TV money for it as well. But but really, it comes down to uh, whining and dining the sponsors of the National Hockey League in a weekend where everybody's together and all the stars of the game are there. And, uh, you know, they trot them out in front of all the sponsors and the sponsors get their chance to, you know, have their photo taken with Steve Stamkos or Drew Doughty or whatever. And that is the honest you, truth of the All-Star. You game. make a really good case there because then given that that is the case and given that the owners whined and complained so much about, you know, stoppages in the middle of the season right. for things like the Olympics, um, then why don't they make it like the Pro Bowl and do it after the season? So the season's over, you know exactly who had the greatest seasons. Maybe they get them together and let the sponsors, since it's not early driven by the fans, it's driven by the sponsors, take it right out of the season and do it after the season's over. It's There's certainly an argument for that, but I mean, are we going to ratchet back the season by two weeks to allow for that? Where, you know, we're not playing hockey into the end of June? Like, 
that's really you know the issue at that point I think but and and in fairness to National Hockey League players I think the season is just long enough as it is mm-hmm. and so yeah it's tough that they you know have to kind of shoehorn this in somewhere but uh, I don't know if that's a better answer or not I really don't yeah like I think it's intriguing how you're saying if you know you make home advantage in the playoffs or whatever because I'm I'm honestly asking myself when's the last meaningful moment I remember in the All-Star game and I have to be honest I rarely watch them because I find it's a non-starter but for me it goes back to Owen Nolan calling his goal against uh, Hasek right like that was fantastic it was was so much fun early 90s I think that was maybe might have been 91 or 92 and that's the last real thrilling moment I remember in the actual game I mean, I mean, a couple of years ago, I suppose it was compelling when, of course, a guy who was almost a fan vote joke, if you will, uh, was voted in. And, of course, his teammates rallied around him and he ends up being the MVP of the game. <laughs> and, I mean, there was a bit of com- compellingness to that, I think. But at the end of the day, um, you know, is that enough to, to I mean, that was kind of a one off type of thing. And, of course, they've tightened up rules on how, how voting can work now. So, you know, the country of Slovenia can't vote in, you know, Anzi, Anzi Kopitar every single year type of thing. But um, but he'll still be there. Yeah, he's earned his right this year, but he sure as heck shouldn't have been there last year. Right. Yeah, certainly I know when they went to that format uh, back in the 90s, I believe it was, when they had uh, Team World or whatever. Right. And, yeah, and then sometimes – in. Given that also every team had to have a representative, that caused some unusual picks where they had to really stretch to get certain people represented on there, you know, like someone from the Atlanta Thrashers with a certain background or whatever. So it was. Now, I did watch uh, the American Hockey League skills competition and a bit of their uh, game because I don't know, that one had the added element that it made me kind of feel like, made you feel a little bit like a scout, right? Because you had guys like Dylan Strom in there and uh, Kyle Copobianco and yep. uh, guys like TJ Brennan, who I still think needs to get a shot in the NHL full time. It's probably never going to happen. It's probably, him. yeah. And, uh, but like, for instance, there's a guy, uh, Rocco Gromaldi. I'd never really heard of Small him before. Small guy. Small guy, but like when they were doing the puck possession races, he blew the doors off everyone. And I was like, wow, you know, like if I was a GM for a team looking for, you know, a middle six forward that can really handle the puck and play with pace, you know, it's like, hey, it's someone on the radar. Yeah, Carl Grimaldi, an interesting character. He was a first-round draft choice of the Florida Panthers. And, uh, you know, he's he's well known for being incredibly religious and 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 being very outward with it. Um, and so if you if you look through, you know, if you tweet, if look through his tweets and and his Facebook messages, uh, there, there's a lot of that there. And, you know, um, he, he he's not been as successful as a player, maybe more as a personality that way. But, uh, you know, the kid has flat out skills. He's just That's not, I think he's what, five foot six. Yeah. I, I wonder, and, I, and I'm purely speculating on this, so I got to be careful. I don't put my mouth, uh, my foot in my mouth. But, <laughs> right. Uh, there was a player that lit up the Western Hockey League last year. Uh, Wong was his last name. And he played some preseason with, uh, I believe, the Vegas. Okay. And he's with, uh, as a free agent, I don't think he's, property of Chicago, but he's with uh, Rockford, I believe, okay, right Rockford, now. Okay, Rockford, yeah. But and he was putting up, at the beginning of the year, he's putting up pretty good numbers there, too, but uh, also, like, some strong religious views, which is fine, but I also noticed, I, you know, I was just kind of wondering, like, why is this guy not progressing a bit more? And I noticed there was really strong, like, sort of right-wing stuff on his right. on his Twitter poll, and I don't know this, but I kind of wondered if that was a little off-putting for some people if they're you know, putting out those really strong... It's it's tough yeah. to say. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a staid... 
and stoic type of community, if you will. And, and I mean, they don't tend to embrace people that are a little bit different or have different views than they do. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we see it with Josh Hosang and, you know, there's nothing wrong with Josh Hosang. He's, yeah. he's just a, you know, he, he's just a different type of character than, than typically hockey players are. He's very outspoken. You know, he believes in certain things. Uh, he comes from a background that uh, is different than a lot of hockey players and, and all the power to him. And, you know, he's a heck of a hockey player. And I'd say, but, too, with you know, Josh Hosang. I feel like he's been held back a little bit. Well, the stigma has stuck to him, and, I, and I've seen a lot of interviews with Unfairly him. Unfairly, too. And he's really, really learned his lesson, and he's a really smart guy. And, and yeah, when Very he got, well-spoken. When he got sent home early by the Islanders, like, he learned his lesson. Yes, he did. And, uh, you know, like, even there were people saying he was such a selfish hockey player at one point in the OHL. If you look at his stats right now, just not the truth. It's heavy, heavy, assist heavy. Like yeah. he's looking past first now. Like he's learned his lesson. But yeah, I, I agree with you. The stigma has uh, unfairly stuck to him. But even PK Subban a little bit is same thing. I mean, yeah. you know, look at all the dresser. stuff he yeah. has done for charity. I mean, ten million dollars to the the Children's Hospital in Montreal, mm-hmm. and all we're talking about is or what people somewhat talk about is what a prima donna he is. Yeah. He's not, I, I don't think it's fair at all. I just, you know, he, he's a, he's a outspoken guy. You know, he, he loves to be around the cameras and to, to talk about hockey. And I mean, if you've ever listened to him on Sportsnet, when he's done some work, he's been phenomenal. I mean, he, in the skills competition, he was talking on the mic while they were, while the skills competition was going on and he was, he was great. And again, I think it's unfairly uh, great with fans, put to yeah. him. I mean, P.K. Subban, to me, is a great guy. Oh, yeah. And you get guys, like, to compare him to someone earlier, but, like, say, Jeremy Roenick and, and Chris Chelios, who were a little bit out there sometimes, everyone's like, oh, he's a character, he's a character, he's yeah. a character. P.K. Subban does it. <laughs> he, and, he's not a character, though. But, yeah, like, you know. you know, so, again, I think it's it's a little inconsistent that way, right? Like You, and, you hate to think um, that racism may come into that. And I, I often wonder, you know, yeah. I, I almost feel like maybe... There is an element of that, and what a shame on our society if that's the case. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It should have it should have absolutely no play in, in anything anymore. But you know, especially in the professional sports world. Yeah, absolutely, we've moved on on that. Yeah. Now, before we leave the All Star stuff, I did want to throw out one more thing. Is okay. uh, since we're you know criticizing and talking about changes and seeing what we do like, do you guys have uh, any ideas for either changing the format or actually coming up with all new competitions for the skill competition? I have a couple wow. suggestions you know what myself. I mean? uh, some of the uh, some of the things that they did this year actually were new. Um, so they had the, you know, they had a lot of lighted areas that that you know were tech the, heavy. Yeah, you know, they used to have the, you know the round sort of targets in the net for you know the uh, the accuracy competition, and this year they had basically sensors or something sensors that you could change which corner the sensor was flashing in, and so you the player had to hit the target when the when it was actually flashing. So as opposed to having just five rounds sort of, you know, uh, targets that you could hit any at any point you wanted. Yeah. So think about this, okay. A player last year, maybe they love hitting the bottom right-hand corner and that's their favorite spot, right? You bang that one off with your first shot and then you continue on. Now you don't know which one the first one's going to be, so you have to kind of wait for it. I felt that was maybe a little bit off-putting for the players to some degree, and, and I think we saw... You know, a couple of them really did well with the way this changed, and some of them didn't do well at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know the AHL actually stuck with the traditional, uh, the foam ones that still break and right. whatever. And I actually... 
I like if, that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because right. the challenge is, can you get the four and four, right? right? Which has rarely been done in the NHL or the, the OHL. I remember Bork doing it back in the day and stuff. Like in the AHL, they had two guys go uh, four targets and five shots. And right. I don't know. It's in, The thing is, that's something they can practice too. Yeah. When you have all that tech with the flashing lights, that's not something... And it doesn't recreate anything in a game situation. Like I think a lot of people have seen the Drew Doughty passing to the corner thing, where it's a foot off the ice, and I was like, "What's that recreating from hockey?" Right? Like, I felt bad. You know, obviously, I know Drew Doughty. I've known him for a long time. I felt bad just trying to hit those little uh, target things, uh, and you know, he just missed them by you know a fraction, and ended yeah. up being you know taking forty six seconds for something that. Some other people took 17 or 18 seconds. Yeah. I felt bad for him. Uh, yeah, kind of undeserved, I think. I didn't really enjoy Yeah, he's such a highly skilled guy and putting him out there it like that. It makes no is, difference yeah. uh, whether you can do that or not as to whether you're a good hockey player. And it was very not very indicative of, of what All-Stars should be showing off. Now, that being said... Uh, with the uh, with the fastest skater, I mean, we might as well just award it to Connor McDavid for the next yeah. ten years. I don't know. Braden Point gave him a pretty it was good close, run. It yeah. was within tenths of a second. Oh well, like, and I'm talking like it was two, two to three tenths of a second, and it, but that was intense. But didn't you feel like uh, so? With all due respect to Braden Point, who did a phenomenal job, and I thought it, it was close. But Braden Point was all out, and you almost felt like. Connor McDavid maybe had another gear to him and didn't get to that <clears> last <throat> gear but that he could have done if he had needed to and did he ever look fast going around i'm thinking oh. i was thinking he was going to blow the doors off of the re- off the highest score by like two seconds and i know and, and maybe he would have <clears throat> maybe he just coasted the last bit maybe he looked up and saw the time and coasted it but i don't know i, I he made it look interesting anyway he, he did make it look interesting but i just felt like there was another gear to Connor mcdavid he didn't need yeah yeah, and the one thing I, I can say I did like about the skills competition this year is what they put in was that goaltender challenge with the breakaways. Right. There were, that like, was, Henrik Lundqvist looked really good in the beginning. Flurry and, looked good. And then Flurry comes out and stops, what was it, 13, 14 13 shots 14, in a row, yeah. and Pekka Rinne did the same thing. Like, it was just great to see these guys stopping all these And then I forget, I forget which goalie it was, but they only had, was it Hellybook that only had three or something? Yeah, and he, he didn't get <laughs> any didn't of get them. too much business. <laughs> no, he was. So, was, yeah, maybe the breakaways aren't, aren't his specialty, but, I mean, no. he's looked phenomenal this year. Yes, for the he test, has. But just maybe not in breakaway situations. <laughs> Agree. All right, so I'm going to lay on you my uh, two brainstorming ideas for new events. All right, here. Okay. And the first one is purely for the analytics fans out there, because um, I know that debate goes back and forth. We know uh, one of their favorite stats is the Corsi, which okay. uh, tracks puck possession, and they put a huge amount of stock in puck possession. So I was like, hey, you know, when we were kids in the backyard rink, you know, we used to play keep away all the time. So since they're going three on three anyways, let's just throw the nets out. Let's give them a defined area, give them two teams, and they have the technology now, so to track why not track who can hang on to the puck longest? And I think uh, <laughs> that could cool. get, put a bit of money on it, and uh, I think I would watch that. You know, <laughs> some of those really high-skilled guys, teams of three, who can hang on to the puck longest, right? Almost a, a games of yore type of thing where you yeah. think back to your childhood uh, with something like that. That's cool. Well, that's like part that. of the allure of sports and hockey and I all that, that stuff is trying to connect with the kid in us all. Yeah. And actually, speaking of the kid in us all, this one purely, this idea came from uh, the soccer fields behind us with all this thawing and freezing. Uh, we got a really nice sheet. It's a regular shaped, but we got a nice big sheet of ice. So the boys have been back, you know, ev- after school every day going out skating around and stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, they're seven and eight years old. So, you know, I was just watching what they were doing as I'm shoveling it off. And, of course, within a few seconds, they're like, let's see who can shoot it the farthest, right? And I know they're only seven and eight, but I got to thinking, 
it would be like a, a golf longest drive competition because, you know, they do the hardest shot, which isn't necessarily relevant anymore with all the shot blocking, right? It's, yeah. They actually, it's soft shots getting through to the net. It's not who's shooting 110 anymore. So I was like, get them out into an open area like the old Bobby Orr, you know, the bay and see who can actually, you know. Fire the puck the furthest. Who can fire the puck the furthest and, you know, allow the roll and all that stuff. It would be like a longest drive competition, but there'd be a lot of you'd nuance to and strategy that, to you'd it. You'd have to tape that as a feature to play at the All-Star yeah. game. You couldn't actually you, have it at the All-Star You couldn't have it at the All-Star But it's kind of cool. But it, if they it, tape that, I would watch that. That's a good yeah. YouTube video for some NHL players to do, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Get on their own, some, yeah. Like, draw some views for sure. Get together on the own side, Owen Sound Harbor or whatever, or wherever you have the ice that's frozen over and just have at it interesting idea and yeah. you like it thanks yeah. yeah well let's let's take our second break here and uh, we'll come back and uh, talk about some other stuff we'll be right back on hockey talk the, the staff was trying to get him to the bus and he's like no 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 and he stayed for like an hour and talked to every single person that was there and and, and did photos yeah. and thought that was as classy as you could possibly be Welcome back to Hockey Talk on Blue Water Radio 91.3 and Eastlink TV. Uh, and gentlemen, uh, our last segment of the day, and so far it's been an interesting debate about uh, all-star games, etc. And uh, Andy, I guess you've got something from the Clark Hives to chat about tonight. Yeah, from the Clark Hives, we go back to September 24th, 1955, and uh, we're looking at the Sudbury Daily Star. And... Uh, I picked this one just because it was really interesting to me is uh, uh, the, the headline, which uh, will be up on the screen for our TV viewers. Wings give farmhands a lesson in pro hockey. Slaughter Edmonton eight nothing. And uh, for our radio listeners, uh, if you go to our Twitter uh, page at Hockey Talk 913, uh, it's all posted on there. The complete text if you want to read it all. And there's quite a few interesting pictures there. I, I picked out uh, just a couple. But uh, yeah, all the info is there if you want to follow along that way but just to summarize what was going on with it uh the text was by bob rife who was the star sports reporter at the time and the detroit red wings uh they used to meet for several years uh their farm team from edmonton called the edmonton flyers they'd sort of meet them part way in sudbury and i believe that might be partly because they had a lot of players from that area um from the sudbury region and uh it was kind of cool because there's quite a few uh Hall of Fame characters in there. Of course, Detroit had Ted Lindsay and Alex Delvecchio and Norman, Norm Ullman, uh, Johnny Busick, uh, Gordie Howe. The list goes on and on and on and on. But uh, also some interesting characters uh, on that team that got drubbed 8 nothing on Edmonton. Um, playing for them was a Sudbury guy by the name of Al Arbor. Oh, yes. Who uh, he got Pretty a good Stanley in, Cup coach in the end with four yeah. rings. Yeah, Hall of Islanders. Famer, yeah, for the New York Islanders. And an interesting trivia question uh, that you can use with Al Arbor, uh, last player in the NHL to uh, play games while wearing eyeglasses. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Um, and also, I believe, if I have my facts correct, uh, the coach of the Edmonton Flyers was, uh, up until the previous season, one of their players was a guy by the name of Bud Poyle, who uh, went on to have a Hall of Fame career as of a course, coach and uh, executive. And his son, David, is, of course, the GM of the Nashville Predators and has been for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, we might be talking Predators again in a few moments here. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that Sudbury was uh, the, the site for this uh, annual preseason game. Uh, one of the pictures that stood out to me right away was uh, of a then-rookie, Glenn Hall, and uh, he's standing in his net with his kind of, you know, 
hands on his stick, just like uh, Ken Dryden made that pose famous. <laughs> like there's yeah. statues of that. Right. So I know on the Twitter feed, I actually said he's using the Ken Dryden pose way before Ken Dryden ever did it. And uh, what was kind of neat about that is uh, our local uh, MP, he replied on that one. That really struck a chord with him. Uh, so he uh, replied and told a story of getting to meet uh, Glenn Hall in his hometown out in Alberta and getting to try on his uh, glove and stuff like that. And uh, so it was kind of neat that he uh, added in there. And uh, just over 3,000 fans showed up for the game, which surprised me. But they did say that that was the earliest opening for hockey in uh, Sudbury that anyone could remember. Because, of course, in 1955, a lot of towns were just starting to go to indoor rinks. So um, up until the 50s, it wasn't uncommon for the hockey season not to start until January when they had a good enough freeze for those outdoor rinks to uh, freeze up. So, yeah, if you want to check it out, it's on uh, our Twitter feed at, at HockeyTalk913, and uh, there we go. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Now, you wanted to talk about the CHL yeah, prospect game. so the CHL Top Prospects game was, a, you know, last week in Guelph, and uh, I want to talk about it from a number of uh, things just to share a few little tidbits that I learned uh, uh, from that game, and also we'll talk about maybe the value of the game a little bit as well. But So one of the things that was interesting, of course, it was Team Cherry versus Team Orr, Team Orr coached by Eric Lindros. And uh, I'm told that Eric Lindros called um, a member of the staff of the Sleeman Center at 7 o'clock in the morning of the the day of the game, which was, of course, at 7 o'clock at night, because he wanted to come to the rink and get things organized and figure out their strategy for the game. Oh, really? (laughs) At 7 o'clock in the morning. Taking it seriously. eh? (laughs) Yeah, it was no joke, right? 12 hours early. Yeah, 12 hours. He's a gamer. I I love that in a way about about that. I thought that was a cool story. Uh, second thing is uh, I'm told that uh, Don Cherry um, granted an interview with a, a, a disabled young man who um, was in a wheelchair and Don ended up having to climb a boat uh, well from down where the, the coach's area is all the way up into the storm offices and he's like what 87 years old and you know not really you know as, able to as get around as he used to be but, but showing his age but you know what yeah. he 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 got, went up there and uh, gave this young man a fun, phenomenal interview i'm told was was as kind as he possibly could be um this was a life dream for this young man and uh i'm told don cherry was uh you know everything that we would think don cherry would be if you've me. never met him um, just as gracious as he possibly could be. So kudos to Don Cherry for that. Yeah, I've talked to a number of people that have met him and interacted with him, and it seems to me like I don't always agree with his on-air per- persona, right? but there's a real distinction between his on-air persona and his off-air persona. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, anyone I've talked to, they said it's been unbelievable how well like he's followed up with things. He's remembered people that he's just had very brief encounters with, and he's been very generous. So he has a very, very loyal following for a reason, and I absolutely kudos to him for it. Yeah, and the one thing I'll, I'll give Don Cherry is I, I, when I was driving tour buses years ago, I, I met Don Cherry. He had a restaurant in Ottawa. So I had had a school group in there, and he was there, and he introduced himself and you know, all that. And we were talking, and I said, oh, I'll be back Friday with another group. And when I came back Friday, he remembered my name. I, w- I was surprised. You know, I have heard all that plenty of times about Don Cherry, yeah. and I've met Don Cherry a number of occasions. I have quite a few good stories about him, all 
that type of story too. Yeah. Like I can think back to when he was the coach of the Mississauga Ice Dogs, which of course was named after his dog Blue. And uh, they were a horrendous team at the time. They had like three wins in like 68 games that season or something like that. And, you know, they got absolutely trounced by Guelph that night. Ten to nothing, I think the game was, in favor of Guelph. And, you know, it was like a Thursday night or something. And, you know, they were... He, there was a ton of fans waiting for him to come out and, and sign autographs and meet them. And they were waiting at sort of the bus area. And, uh, you know, the, the, the staff was trying to get him to the bus. And he's like, no, no, no. And he stayed for like an hour and talked to every single person that was there and, and, and did photos yeah. and, and autographs. And literally, uh, he ended up letting the bus go and he, he got a drive back to Mississauga on his own so he could spend extra time with people. I thought that was... As classy as you could possibly be. Very classy. And I think he also realized at some level, like, Don Cherry, the hockey man, ceased to be a long he time ago. He gets and it. Don Cherry, the celebrity, is who he really is, yeah. right? So, And he does the celebrity extremely well, in a classy way, too. He does. So yeah. let's talk about the game just briefly. I mean, Aiden Dudas, who, wasn't a member, who is a member of the Own Sound Attack, as we know, um, probably wasn't happy that he wasn't selected for the game originally. And... With the final injury replacement, they they allowed Aiden Dudas to to be part of that game, and he ended up coming up with two goals, and maybe was arguably the best player on the ice. Uh, he, and I he think he sent really a pretty large statement that he deserved to be there in the first place. And, and we could pull our Don Cherry here too, because a week or two before that, we actually discussed him being left off, and absolutely, we all felt he should be there. So we could do the Don Cherry. Say, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell <laughs> yeah. you? Right, so. And, and you know what? Some other good stories. I mean, Evan Bouchard, four assists for the London Knights, uh, you know, was a big story. He, Of course, he's ranked fifth by NHL yeah. Central Scouting he's among North Americans. He's starting to consolidate his, uh, his reputation. He's going to be the top defenseman yeah. taken outside of the young kid from Sweden, of course. And Aiden Dudas, of course, ranked 131st by Central Scouting. He's got a lot of upward mobility go in my mind. He's not the biggest player, but he's got a ton of heart and skill level. He's going to be drafted much, much higher than that. And we know that Mark McKelvey was not real happy with that ranking when we talked to him. Well, no, and, 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 you know, and rightfully so. I, I, mean, I totally get that. Or uh, Fred, uh, Fred Wallace. Fred Wallace either. Fred Wallace yeah, wasn't happy so either, wasn't yeah. happy about too. But the other player that stood out too was uh, a member of the Flint Firebirds, Ty Delandria, a guy that's ranked 76th by NHL Central Scouting, also had a couple of goals in that game. So, guys, my, my question to you is, does that all matter at all? I mean, do, does it at least make an impression on scouts where they remember your name at least? I, th- I think it can, I can, it can be a boost, right? It's, uh, we talked about this a bit earlier where you're playing amongst peers, right? So they're judging you how you play against that higher level. So it can't hurt in that regard unless you really go out there and wobble on your ankles and really stink it out. But And that's the thing, you know, it, it, that kind of a game can do you a world of good and jump you up in the rankings. But if you have a poor outing, it can also lower you. Like yeah. You know what, I don't, think, I don't think having a poor game makes any difference at all. It, no. I, I, but no. I think having a good game makes a it's minor a one-off, difference. Right? It's a yeah. one-off, You know right? what, it... it does that really, if you play extraordinarily well the rest of the year and you, you you snooze it out there in that particular game, I think that has zero impact on your draft level. But, you know, to but ha- to in a house a- full of NHL scouts and GMs and everybody, um, you know, to shine, it doesn't do you any harm. Let's no, and it way. might do you some good because that might give you the confidence to go, look, look at me, I did that against the where all these players guys were watching CHL. me. And it can make your se- the rest of your season then that much more productive because you have more confidence in yourself. So, yeah, it, is, it probably does help these guys to have a good showing. I can tell you as well that uh, our, our old friend Ryan Drury w- uh, spent the evening with uh, Bob McKenzie of oh, CSN. Wow. And Bill Granger was sitting next to George McPhee, the uh, GM of the number one Las Vegas 
Golden Knights. How much time do we have there, Paul? We are just about out of time, my friend. All so right. What do we have next week, Andy? We got a big show next week. Yeah, wow. real, real fast shout out to uh, Cornell, is now the number one ranked team in the NCAA. And we had uh, their head coach, Mike Schaefer, on not that long ago. Did. So kudos to them and hope they continue to have a great season. Next week, we have two fantastic guests. We have. Dennis Marouk, the former, former 60 goal, goal scorer yeah, for Washington. He yeah. has a book out right now, which is phenomenal. We're going to talk to Dennis about that. And in uh, the second half, we have uh, Mel, uh, Mel Schwint. Sorry, <laughs> Mel Schwint Construction is the company his uh, family owns. Uh, uh, Mike Schwint, who uh, played, two, Native. played 250 games in the OHL, seven years in Europe, and now he's back playing senior hockey in the area. He's going to be a guest in studio, so we look forward to talking hockey with Mike Schwint and Dennis Marouk. So that's the edition of Hockey Talk for this week. We'll see you next time right here on Hockey Talk. Hockey Talk.